Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Managing major programs in government, such as digitally enabled transformation, requires different skill sets from regular project management. Projects that can take many years and enormous investments are extremely complex. My guest in this episode has led and also developed learning programs to teach others to lead major programs in government. Nick Borwell is the co-founder of Oxford 8, a consultancy based in London, England. Nick is highly experienced as a major program director and as a leader of organizations facing complex challenges. He has operated in both the private and public sectors, most notably in United Kingdom's Cabinet Office, Defence and Health. He was the principal of the UK Civil Service Leadership Academy, after which he developed the program for the Office of Civil Society's COVID-19 volunteering effort. While Nick was an associate with the Infrastructure and Projects Authority in the Cabinet Office, he transformed the UK government's capability and capacity for delivering projects. The key plank of his success was the development of the Major Projects Leadership Academy, also known as MPLA, and its associated programs delivered by the Side Business School at Oxford University. He is currently cohort program leader with the MPLA, where he has devised and delivered the first distance learning digital program. Nick gained his master's in major program management from the Side Business School in 2011, where he is now an associate fellow. Thank you, Nick, for joining me today. Hello, Kinga. It's a real pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. Me too. Before we delve into the topic, for those who are not familiar with major program management in government, can you please give an overview of what that means? Uh, Yes, I think um, governments, certainly in the UK, but around the world, governments are delivering the most complex programs and the most innovative programs in the world right now. They have an impact on their citizens, on the way services are delivered, on the way we Uh, sort of operate and live our lives every single day and so they're first of all they're very important they affect everyone they're very political so by their nature they're very political Mm -hmm. Uh, they tend to be in the region of you know 500 million pounds and up and uh, they usually are technologically very innovative and they are share price affecting or can be a matter of serious concern for the program directors, the senior responsible owners, and of course, the politicians who, mm-hmm. who develop them. So, and they have a duration where the people who start them aren't going to be there to see the end of them, usually, not all. So they're, they're pretty unique and at a huge scale. Absolutely. Many, many different facets to it. What are the key skills that are required in that, in managing these major projects? I think the, the, the two parts to it, one is the sponsorship. I mean, there's three broad reasons why major programs fail. One is leadership, another one is sponsorship, and the third is poorly initiated, so they start badly. If we look at sponsorship and leadership, the successful delivery of a major program or project, whether it's a massive rail project or whether it's changing your benefits or, or social services system across a country, that requires political leadership and it requires 
lots of stakeholders and it may require operations or programs being delivered from across a number of departments. So the sponsorship of the major program is vital. So it has to be a whole government, whole departmental effort, not just the program or project team. So the senior responsible owner for this thing has got to be politically fairly savvy. They've got to be able to lead and manage up and out from the program and the delivery of the program itself. So in other words, the, the senior responsible owner is accountable for the benefits that the program is going to deliver. The program is delivered by a project director or program director. And that individual has got to really understand the, the technical side of leading major change or major projects or programs. So they're quite different. So leadership is not just one thing in major projects or programs. It is, there are a number of facets to it. And what are those different facets? Because you did mention that there's a key difference between leading the project and managing the project. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think both are leadership roles because actually if you're a program director or project director on a major program, then you've got a lot a lot to do in terms of corralling and leading a team. And it might be a very disparate team. Mm -hmm. uh, but that there's quite a lot of technical leadership there required. So you've got to understand project program management disciplines, how things are delivered, uh, and you've got to know how to bring together the, the other disciplines that will help you with it, which is the commercial, the financial, being able to do risk management and all these things. The, that's the program director. The SRO is looking up and out. So the SRO needs to understand what's going on in the program or the project, but they've got to understand, uh, they've got to understand the technology, if there's technology involved, and there always will be. But mm -hmm. they've really got to understand the departmental and political environment so mm -hmm. they can navigate that to ensure that the right decisions are made about the program or project. So these are quite different skills. So project directors, program directors tend to be project delivery professionals. So they've come up through project and program delivery for a long time in their careers. Senior responsible owners, certainly in the UK government, tend to be people, they, they might be project delivery professionals, but often they're commercial officers or they're finance officers or they're policy professionals or they're operational professionals. And not that many of them are project delivery professionals. That doesn't matter because they've got a different role to do. These two are complementary skills within major program management. So they're both leading, but they're leading in different ways to make sure yes. that, the, that yeah. the project is a success. Yeah, hopefully not in different directions, but they're leading. They're, they're, what they're, what, the way they're leading is going to be different. Absolutely. And I guess that's part of the skills required on how to make sure that their work intertwines and is on the same page. And so what do you think, before we go any further, what do you think are the major differences between these types of projects in government and in mm. the private sector or in other industries? Overwhelmingly, it's politics. These programs and projects are likely to be kind of front page news, particularly if they go wrong. And, and because they affect the citizen and because they are very high profile, they attract a lot of attention and politicians invest a lot in them uh, personally and in terms of prestige and so forth, governments do. And actually they're really important to deliver effectively for the citizens. So when, if money is wasted or is seen to be wasted, if things are late, if, if things don't go well, then it becomes front page news. And it is, we, you know, we have something called the Public Accounts Committee, which scrutinises uh, these things and it's a really uncomfortable time for the senior responsible owner and the senior civil servant in the department to be facing the public accounts committee over a project or a program that hasn't gone well. 
many projects and programs within the private sector, they're just not at the same scale or the same complexity. They are difficult, sure. I, you know, I wouldn't uh, say these are simple things to do if you're in the finance sector or the banking sector, or you're trying to change systems within those industries, but you don't have the same scrutiny or you, you're not under the spotlight the way people are in government for delivery. Mm-hmm. And so I think these are, these are completely different scales, completely different uh, levels of personal as well as financial risk for people involved in them. So I think it's often underestimated just how difficult it is to deliver major projects in government. And obviously there's a lot to learn and a lot for people when they come into these roles to learn about how to do this well. And you have been involved in leading and designing learning experiences for leaders in government to do just that, to be leading major programs. So what are some of the key learning experiences that you think are important to help people learn to manage and lead these types of programs in government? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, because actually, it's not about the faculty, really. I mean, the, the faculty in whatever organisation is, is providing the learning, uh, it's important that they, of course, that they know what they're doing, and they know what they're talking about, they structure things well. But actually, the really great learning comes from each other and actually the faculty whoever they may be whether it's side business school or whether it's uh, Cranfield depending on our, our, the programs we're running in government or elsewhere for that matter you know other other uh, providers are available as they say that actually they facilitate a discussion or a series of discussions because what we find is that uh, for something like the major projects leadership academy for example at side business school every cohort is about 30 35 people those people are either going to be program project directors or senior responsible owners. Mm-hmm. So you've got some people who are steeped in project delivery and some people who aren't, but they all have something to bring. So they learn from each other. And a lot of it is about building confidence in their ability to do it. Mm-hmm. They're good people. They're good at what they do, but sometimes they just don't realize how good they are. And we have to bring that out of them and they help each other all the way through. So we have, you know, buddy systems, if you like, action learning sets, which actually brings, as we all know, cuts the cohort down into smaller size groups to look at particular problems. And we've moved, and it's something you might want to explore a little bit more in a minute, but we've moved from face-to-face to having to, to, having to do everything online because of COVID. Mm-hmm. That's been really interesting because you get to know each other quicker face-to-face, no question about it. And for preference, for learning, we would always do it face to face. But the choice was you either stop it completely or, you know, until it's, the crisis is over, which actually slows everything down. Or you look at we, what we had to do, as everyone else has, I suspect, is to look at how we can deliver this effectively online. So we, we've actually changed the way we, we've looked at it. So we don't have long presentations where people can chip in because you don't have the body language in the in the sessions that you would if it's face to face. So it's smaller bite-sized chunks mm-hmm. and more discussion, which is more structured to allow people to be able to see what's going on, talk to each other. The other thing that um, we found with the face-to-face cohorts where they have three five-day modules at Oxford, they get to know each other really quickly. So within, mm-hmm. you know, by the second day, they're talking very freely, they're sharing ideas, and there's a lot of energy about the thing. Online, it's more difficult. It takes longer to get to know each other. And uh, we spent quite a lot of time doing kind of weekly calls with the cohort to kind of get them, first of all, keep them warm until we were ready to launch the online 
part of the, the program, which was the program, but also so they get to know each other. So they weren't strangers when we started the online program. So there's a lot we've learned in going to online, but actually in the end, it's, it's about each other. It's about keeping content relevant and up to date. So it's too, it would be too easy to trot out the same stuff for year after year. We've got to keep adapting programs. So you have principles, that's great. That mm -hmm. doesn't change. But actually the examples and the reference class does change. and We've got to stay up to date with that. So definitely, I would like to explore how the program has changed, how the structure has changed uh, going online. But can you give a little, uh, a little bit of an insight into what that program looks like when you're running it mm. in person? What for people to kind of get an idea of what that experience looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is bearing in mind that we've got a number of different programs for different levels, but the mm -hmm. biggest one and the one that's been running for longest is the Major Projects Leadership Academy. So. I'm not sure what the number is now. I think we must be at about over 800 people who have been through that program in the last seven, seven years or so. Uh, and in fact, we're increasing the number of cohorts at the moment. Cohorts of about 30 people. They're deputy director and director level in, in that's in the UK government. So they're pretty senior people already. Um, may well have been through other leadership programs, uh, senior leadership schemes and things like that in the UK government. But actually the MPLA gives them more immersive experience than they will get anywhere else. And what we do to start with, we have an orientation event to make sure people know what's coming. They do a 360 degree feedback. They do uh, psychometric testing as well to see where their strengths and weaknesses may be or areas for development, not weaknesses, of course, before they get into the program proper. Early on, they do a, a, an MPLA development assessment so that they, uh, or plan rather, so that they plan their own development through the program and beyond mm -hmm. and then that evolves through the thing so all of that's happening really early on the first module uh, i'll do this quite quickly because it's quite there's quite a lot of it the first module it's three five-day modules the first one is around personal leadership and leadership of projects so that's right there at the front this isn't mm -hmm. about teaching you know prince two or managing successful programs those are methodologies this is about leadership major projects and programs so leadership is there all the way through uh, organization design as well and those are really important to get us started and and systems leadership as well systems uh, engineering so that's the first module they then have a, an assignment to write on that stuff and then the second module it's uh, risk commercial and governance so we, we do more around that in the middle. And then the last one focuses on transformation, actually, mm -hmm. the last five-day module, and actually summarizes and brings it all together. So it is a pretty thorough process. They have five assignments to write during this, as well as their development plan. And at the end, they have a viva, so they have to present to a panel and are quizzed on what they've taken from the program what they put into practice in the program, what the impact has been. So they've really got to satisfy a number of things. So there's a lot- Because it's very much interwoven with their job, isn't it? Because they're all, Absolutely. they're working and they're coming, not spending full time in the program, but they're, they're also still continuing to work. And so they're actually taking their experiences from their jobs to work yes. through in the program and then putting that back in. And that's what you said in the Viver, they have to explain how actually the learning has had an impact on their own work. Exactly, and, and it's, it's really powerful actually. I mean, people comment that they start 
applying the lessons they've learned from e- even on, on during the, the first module. So, mm-hmm. you know, their first five days, they come out of that and they're already starting to apply the lessons. So they don't wait to the end. It's happening all the way through. Uh, they also have to do um, uh, an IPA, Infrastructure Projects Authority, gateway review of a major project or program. We have something called the Government Major Projects Portfolio. And that is, at the moment, it's about 140. It's growing all the time, actually. Uh, of the largest and most complex programs in government uh, and, and the most costly. And the people on our program are the, the SROs and program directors for, the, for those programs. Actually, it's growing a lot because we've decided to apply the criteria to the GMPP properly to all projects and programs. And so we're not adding, the, we're not creating new programs, we're adding programs that already exist for the most part into the insurance piece. So one of the things they have to do on the course is during the course is to do an assurance review as mm-hmm. part of their learning. So it's very powerful. That's wonderful. That is a lot of very rich learning. Definitely very interesting. You would say that the main skills that are being taught in this leadership is really taking your current work and understanding how to learn better. What are the main skills that you think are being? Well, there's skills and behaviors and okay. it's more behaviors than skills in a sense. The, the whole notion of the incomplete leader, complete team is really important here. So some people do feel that they, they're the whole package, but they never are. I mean, not many people do think that, to be honest. But um, what we try and explain is that, uh, and, and most people are, are very amenable to this, is that they will have development areas and they will have strengths. Mm-hmm. And you can overplay your strengths, so people need to be aware of that. And the development areas, some people just can't develop some areas. So... You've got to make sure, therefore, that your team actually balances your strengths and, and weaknesses. Yes. So if you've got a team that looks exactly like you in every sense and is not diverse, and not just in terms of ethnicity or sexual orientation or anything like that, it's also about whether or not they have the diversity of thought. And mm-hmm. so what we want to do is make sure people are balancing their strengths and their weaknesses with their whole team. Mm. And so they learn that really quickly and they... And then you tie that within organi- with organisational design and governance and pull all that together and you start to create teams that will work really well. If you look at the, the kind of what of leadership, the functions of leadership, you know, setting vision and direction and then obviously making sure that we're on plan, as it were. But then there's also the team and there's a responsibility for developing and creating a team. And that team might change, as might the leader, depending on the part of the life cycle the program's in. And the last important function of leadership, I think, is challenging and accepting challenge. Mm-hmm. So if you do those functions in leadership, and then the behaviours are more around listening, being open and having transparency and integrity and having a culture which will allow people to tell the truth rather than try to hide the truth, then you start getting to programs that will be delivered more effectively. That's very important. And then there are the skills around planning, around risk management, around commercial, around finance. Those are absolutely vital as well, of course, but they're not the whole story. So what we're doing is trying to, in a short time, it's about a year, year, and, a year and a quarter, we get people a long way from where they were. And a lot of it's confidence. So being able to lead with confidence. And I, I should just touch on the private sector here, because although I said, you know, and I stand by it, that private sector programmes and projects, by and large, are a lot of, uh, not simpler. They're not nearly as complex as public sector projects and programmes. 
But of course, none of the proje projects or programs in the public sector can be delivered without the private sector. Yes. So it's a partnership. And, it, and understanding how to work commercially and in, a, and, and in a partnering way as appropriate is really important as well to get the best out of your suppliers so that there is fairness and actually you can operate together. That's a really difficult thing to do as well. Absolutely, that is. And so you've been doing a lot of training and, and leading the training in government, in leadership training. How is this different? What aspects of the program for major projects is unique because it's a major projects leadership training? I think that what's unique about it is that at every level in major project management or project leadership, we, we sort of regard major projects as, as, as businesses in their own right. They're temporary organisations, but of course, some of them go on for years. Mm -hmm. Some of them go on for decades, actually. Some of the defence projects go on for sort of 30 years. So the people who are there at the beginning won't be there at the end. Again, it's that sort of the spotlight of public scrutiny on what's going on, which makes it unique, actually. So in terms of the, the qualities people need to do that, they need a lot of resilience. They need a sense of humour, actually, as well. It's really important. And they need to be able to build and lead teams effectively, but they've also got to be able to manage up and engage with some fairly challenging people in terms of you know, political leadership and some of the scrutiny they come under and right. do it effectively. So I don't quite if that answers the question. but No, absolutely. So it's the complexity of being such a massive project that takes many, many years with changing individuals within the project, uh, but also the political aspect and the fact that it impacts the general population. So those are all elements that make it very complex. Yeah, indeed. And so technology can change during that mm -hmm. time. So you find that what you thought was a good idea might not be. Mm -hmm. The policy can change. The funding available might change. In a way, it might not if it's a sh sort of shorter yeah. So you described that big part of the program is really, and the big part of the training is really to be able to make connections and have relationships with others who are doing similar type of work and learning from each other. So mm -hmm. how have you transferred that into the online space as you, because of the pandemic, moved to the program online? Well, we've, we've thought about this a lot, actually, because as I said before, it's quite difficult for people to really get to know each other quickly in, mm -hmm. in the way they would if they were face to face. You know, if you're all in the same boat and you're and you're in a room together and you're spending evenings together and eating meals together, then very quickly you gain a rapport and so forth. So how do you replicate that online? Well, you can't exactly. But we were lucky on the cohort I'm running at the moment, in a sense that we weren't lucky. There's one way to put it. But we had to delay the start of the, of the cohort. So we did the orientation event in March last year, but straight away we went into lockdown. So we couldn't do any of the face-to-face -face modules. So we then had to redesign things. We didn't rush that. We spent five months redesigning it and making sure it was right. But during that five months, we had weekly calls with the cohort. So mm -hmm. we had all sorts of topics. They were only an hour. And most people from the cohort attended some of those calls some of them were on every week so by the time we got to the module the, the first module actually they knew each other quite well and they'd started chatting already we've got a whatsapp group we've got a linkedin group people were sharing jokes they were actually starting to get to know each other that was really important they've got to be comfortable with each other and the way i put it is while they're on the program and afterwards they will gain lifelong friends there and people they really trust they won't necessarily get to know everyone on the cohort, but they'll know that well, but they will know a lot of them. 
and they've got to phone a friend. You know, they've mm -hmm. got someone they can, if they've got a problem on their program, this is part of it. This is part of networking, not in a cynical way, but actually in a supportive way. Mm -hmm. And it's also about how you develop stakeholders in major projects. It's the same sort of thing in a way. So that is the value of it. And so we, by chance, we, we kind of stumbled upon the thing we needed to do, which is get people to know each other before you even start. So what, we, what I'm going to bake in with my next cohort is that for at least four weeks before, I know it's not much, we're going to have weekly calls and, we're going, and the whole point of that will be weekly icebreakers to get to know each other before you start. That's fantastic. So it's really important. For online, I think we've got to do that stuff. Otherwise, you have that paralysis for the first few sessions where no one knows each other and you know, they don't, you know, that's what they look like and all this sort of stuff going on. Yes, you separate that initial getting to know each other and introduce them a little bit to the topics through the readings, but mainly create that connection before you actually get to the learning experience and uh, then people already know each other. Absolutely. We do have, I uh, should have said, we do have pre-reading and I run pre-reading sessions at the cohort as well, where I kind of very inadequately summarise the reading and then they tear it apart, which is great. And we have a good sort of lively debate on that before the module starts. So about a week. That's fantastic. But I like that. That's a good way to so many types of learning requires there to be a collaboration and feeling of community among the mm -hmm. participants and having that building that up slowly before the program actually begins is a, is a very good idea. So that's nice. I think the faculty, either the guest speakers or the, or the side business school faculty in this case have been very flexible and, very good at adapting their content to, to the way we need to do it online. So I've been really impressed by that. And it means that it's been very engaging and people have got a lot out of it still. So it's been great fun. We even do, we do something which is this sort of learning the lessons of history from Shakespeare. So we have Mythodrama, so plug for that company. But Mythodrama are really good. There are other companies that do similar things. I didn't think that would work online. You know, I thought that, you know, the value is having someone in the room with you who's talking Shakespeare and talking about leadership and then actually getting the groups to, to work together. Actually, it was brilliant online. Really good. I was so relieved and pleased. And it was, a, it was one of the highlights, actually, hmm. of the whole thing. So that, that's been great. That's really good. It's good to hear that it transferred well. And I do really like that aspect of the program, bringing in the drama and applying the knowledge that you're building and how to lead into a different context, I think really yeah. drives home the learning when you see something in different contexts, then you can understand it better. Storytelling is such an important part of it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So we major quite a lot on storytelling. And we encourage people to recount things that have happened. And they're not necessarily major project related ones, actually. Mm -hmm. It can be less of life. It doesn't really matter. It's about leadership and actually empathy and developing teams and all this sort of stuff. And it's very valuable. And actually, the lessons we learn from the Major Projects Leadership Academy can be applied across lots of other areas as well. We focus on major projects as the big. Wonderful. That is really good. In terms of the program, either online or in person, from your long history of doing these types of training, what do you find is the most challenging for the learners who are going through the program? What is the most challenging for them in these programs to learn to manage major projects? This is a really difficult question because I think it, you know, everyone's different. So they have mm -hmm. different challenges. But actually, I think there, there is a greater level of imposter syndrome that you might then you might expect from senior people where they they look at themselves and think well, i'm not sure i should be here or god i'm lucky to be here actually they're not lucky they're actually good at what they do that that's quite a common trait actually some will admit it openly 
in front of everyone. Some will admit it privately and some won't admit it at all. And for some, maybe they don't have that you know, feeling, of course, but there is a surprising number who feel that. And so part of this is about confidence and part of this is about the incomplete leader, complete team idea to actually get them to function even better as leaders. And I think that's probably the biggest difficulty a lot of people overcome, actually, mm. more than you might believe. It's entirely natural. Is that a factor of them feeling that they should be good at every aspect of what is happening, rather than bringing people on who are complementary to their skills? Is that the shift that needs to happen from understanding as a leader, you don't need to be good in everything? You need to be able to bring on people who support what you are not as good at. Is that why maybe there's that feeling? Yeah, 100%. I'm sure you're right. And, and I think that what we do is hold up a bit of a mirror in a very positive way to say, actually, you are, you know, so some people actually overplay strengths and are not as good as they think in some areas, of course. That's true as well. But you don't get many people who are arrogant or sort of overconfident, actually. Get a few, not many. Most people are, are quite modest, actually, um, even if they're great characters, you know, they uh, underplay that very often. Maybe it's government service. I don't know. But I, I certainly see very strong leaders who don't believe they are very often because it's not about, you know, the best leader isn't the person who shouts the loudest. Great leadership comes in all sorts of styles and all sorts of guises. And people, we're not trying to pe get people to change their style or change who they are, but actually make the most of what they've got and to develop themselves. It's really important. And great leadership is, is about that, actually bringing out the best in people for yourself and for the people you're leading and for the task you're meant to be achieving. That's really good. And you're exploring that from very many different angles and having that mm. self-reflection to see what they need in order to complete their teams and also understand the strategies that you don't have to be perfect in everything. That's wonderful. So if there's others who are wanting to be designing these types of programs, what do you think is the most challenging for the designer, for the individuals who are creating these programs? What's the hardest part in creating or conducting these types of major program leadership academies? I think very often it's being open to all the different approaches and ideas out there. You may th think that's strange me saying that when we're talking about academic institutions. But actually, you know, there can be a bit of not invented here. In a sense, it doesn't matter what kind of methodology you use as long as people all understand it and it, and it works. It doesn't mm. really matter what it's called in a sense. And the, the, the design is dynamic and keeps pace with preferably a bit ahead of changes. So you've got principles that don't tend to change, but then you've got other characteristics of major projects that, that might change. And so you've got to stay, you've got to keep up with that. And so you're credible as well as relevant so that you're teaching people or developing them in the right kind of way rather than you know, ready to fight. As we, you know, we used to say yesterday's war, actually, we need to be looking at and what's coming out i'm not sure not talking about war fighting but uh, you know it's the same it's the same thing. about strategies to be able to do program and project management at the level that you're speaking at so what would be an example of that if someone's trying to imagine okay how do i what does that actually mean that i don't use yesterday's strategies for for what's changing what might be an example there have been changes in the way infrastructure is is developed and changes in technology 
but actually the big change is the speed at which transformation programs are developing so mm -hmm. we, we've got to we've got to be quite a broad church and we've got to be able to teach the kind of leadership that will deal with infrastructure programs big military capability programs and digitally enabled transformation programs mm -hmm. we've also got to think about the portfolio approach to things portfolio management as part of this as well so understanding where these major projects and programs sit within portfolios understanding changes within government which actually will change the way major projects are delivered or at least the governments for them so we've got to stay current all the time and you know understand the the sorts of thing government the sorts of publications government is producing so we're absolutely current and and we work hard to do that. I think there's more we could do, of course, there always is, but we work hard to try and stay, make sure we're relevant, bang up to date. And actually, principles don't really change. The mm -hmm. basics don't really change, but some of the context changes and some of the examples change. The credibility of the whole program could be called into question if we don't keep pace with that. Absolutely. So it's important to put in that kind of work and forethought into staying current. So what kind of advice from the years of experience you have, what kind of advice would you give to people who want to make these types of programs, either want to develop these types of programs or to improve their programs? What advice would you give? The first is get the right level of buy-in and sponsorship from your organisation. So if it's a whole government, I don't know, it's Canadian government or the UK government or uh, you know the Indian government or whoever it happens to be, if you want to establish leadership programmes including major projects, but any kind of leadership programs. One of the problems with leadership is everyone senior has got an opinion on it. So you, because they're leaders. You know? yes. So actually it's really important to have clear direction and clear funding for this as well. So, so that you can actually do what you need to do to create the experience that will actually add value to the organization. So sponsorship at the very senior levels is really important and some kind of coherence about why we need to do this. Then there's, there's a, an impetus behind getting it to happen. If you don't have that, it will wither. And there's got to be a commitment to see it through as well. So first thing is make sure you've got the sponsorship right from the top. You can get a prime minister to say this is important. That's even better than anything else. You know, a minister, uh, you know, secretary of state, uh, permanent secretaries all saying this is really important we'll get behind this so the leadership programs not just major projects that have really stuck other than the military leadership ones which are very strong and they do things a bit differently have been ones which have had that patronage if you like from senior people in government so that's the first thing the second thing is that understand what level you're trying to develop the program for and actually if you only sort of hit one level you're probably missing the trick because you've got to actually put it in context so having done the major projects leadership academy and set that up we then recognize that directors general so the next level up sort of three stars if you like who are really senior people in departments actually we needed them to set the conditions for success for the project programs and projects so we created the orchestrating major projects program at side business school where they do a week there and quite a few directors general have been through that. And that's a really good program. It's interesting that mythodrama for the deputy directors and directors usually is Henry V. And for the DGs, it's Julius Caesar. Interesting. So, <laughs> so, so it's quite interesting. And I, I don't want to sort of draw too many conclusions <laughs> from that. So that's directors general. But actually, the, the UK government in the last, this year, or the last year, set up a major projects leadership course program for ministers 
the government ministers. And that's really fantastic because actually if we can get, if we can change the temperature of the whole debate around major projects and programmes, so it's not just the SRO programme directors, but it's the people running the portfolios mm-hmm. and it's the people providing the ministerial, the, the policy, then you're the winner actually. And that's what's making a difference now, I think. That's fantastic. So at all yeah. levels and then down below that as well, of course. That's really important because so often implementation fails in any kind of organization because there isn't complete understanding and buy-in at all levels and understanding being an important part of it. So what does the minister, very briefly, what does the minister training entail? What are the key elements of it that are important? Well, I haven't been very close to it, although I'm an associate fellow at SIDE. And it was set up by the Infrastructure Projects Authority, which is where I used to work and I'm doing a bit of work with them still now. Uh, so Nick Smallwood, who's the CEO of the IPA, Infrastructure and Projects Authority, was asked to do this with Side Business School. And so what they do, I think they do eight sessions, not necessarily on consecutive weeks, but eight sessions of a couple of hours at a time. They tend to be a week in between sessions at least. And I think the cohorts have been sort of between 12 and 18 ministers and they, they're on the third cohort now. So, it's, you know, that's not bad, actually. Mm. And concentrating on departments where they've got some of the bigger, crunchier programmes. And it's been extremely well received. And we're starting to see some of the right questions coming back from ministers back into the departments saying, mm-hmm. you know, what about this? And, and, and giving the right level of support. Because it's not that people don't want to do the right thing. It's just they're not familiar with it. Exactly. And why would they be? Some of this stuff is quite foreign to people and it's it's hideously complex. Absolutely. So what we're trying to do is demystify some of it and actually give people the tools to ask the right questions or deliver effectively. That's really important because it's so often it's not even about the buy-in. It's about someone having the knowledge of knowing what to ask, what kind of questions Absolutely. to ask. They may say, yes, this is a perfect program. We should be doing it. But actually, if the leader doesn't know exactly what kind of questions to ask, the project yeah. may go amiss as well. So that's very, very important. Wonderful. I mean, this is incredibly important, not only because it impacts citizens at large of a country, Mm. but it's very complex projects, which are becoming increasingly more complex, especially as Mm. digital is changing the world. And there are so many complications of taking old systems and building new infrastructure on them. So it's incredibly important for government. Before we end, I always like to ask if there's something that you'd like to recommend, something that you read or listen to, or you've seen that inspires you or informs you in this topic. I tend to shy away from kind of books or tracts on leadership, but I do like to read about or listen to people who have led or are lead things. So I think real live examples i'm not saying that books on leadership aren't useful and and that the the people who write them are not experts on the subject but actually you know whether it's political leadership whether it's leadership of corporations whether it's leadership of military operations i think you can learn so much about their practical experiences and you don't necessarily need to read whole books Mm -hmm. about it but actually there are some really good articles from experts on all sorts of websites uh, Royal United Services Institute, for example, on the military side. I read a book recently called Across an Angry Sea by a guy called Cedric Delves. He is one of the most, he, he was the best general I ever worked for, actually. And he commanded a special air service squadron in the Falklands. So it's a long mm-hmm. time ago. Mm-hmm. But it is the most self-effacing, brilliant summary 
if you like. It's a, it's a really good book about the challenges faced, really honest about the mistakes that were made, but actually going through adversity and leading. So it wasn't about major programs or projects, but it was just a, it's almost a Shackleton style, you know, this is what we had to do. And we made a lot of mistakes, but we also learned a lot. And in the end, we prevailed. And I thought that was really inspiring. And, and there's a lot like that, actually. So I think it depends on your style, how you like to consume knowledge or whether you regard it as partly entertainment, which is fine, because it needs to be entertaining in some yes. ways, otherwise it's very dry. Um, so I think that's important. It really comes back to exactly what you're doing as well in Major Projects Leadership Program is that listening to other people's stories, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, but actually hearing how other people have led through challenging situations and hearing yes. about their own challenges and how they managed to get through it is in itself informative and brings us back mm-hmm. again to learning from each other as you said in the course, those yes. who are coming to the course spend a lot of time creating those relationships and learning from each other and hearing about each other's experiences, which is always ex- extremely valuable in, in many, many contexts. That's interesting. It sounds like a good book. It's all about people in the end. That's what it's about. So. Exactly. It is. And the more we connect and we understand how others experience mm. situations, then the more we can learn for ourselves. So that's that's really good. And it sounds like a very interesting book as well, the one you mentioned. Yeah, it's very good. Well, Nick, this is an absolute pleasure. It's very interesting to learn more about a topic that is very important for all governments and many other organizations and something that is increasingly more important with the complexity of our world. So thank you for sharing your insights and your work in this. Thank you for coming. It's a pleasure, King. Thank you very much.